Welcome to The Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Welcome to The Female Red Zone. This is Mary Beth Kuzmeski. Today I'm interviewing Cynthia Hardy-Young, and she has managed profit and loss of multi-billion dollar divisions in domestic and internationally publicly traded companies. Uh, She's practiced as an attorney in law firms and in corporate settings. Uh, She's had an emphasis on corporate defense, directors and officers liability and risk management. She is the former global head of agency at AIG, where she led a $7.5 billion retail sales distribution channel operating in over 40 countries. Today, she is the CEO and founder of Pivot Global Partners, a global boutique consulting firm offering high-touch and low-touch services to mid-sized and large-sized companies. Thank you so much for joining us on the Female Red Zone today, Cynthia. Thank you, Mary Beth. It's a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate the invitation. So tell us a little bit about how, so you've got your company now that you founded, uh, Pivot Global Partners, and I know that you've had a lot of success with this firm. Talk a little bit about how that transition happened uh, from, you know, working in in corporations, large corporations, to starting your own corporation, and uh, talk a little bit about what you do in that that organization as well. Sure. I would say that that it's a path that I've been on for some time, and the corporate roles prepared me for it. I love the corporate roles, and I saw in them so much opportunity around interacting with corporate clients who needed help in strengthening and repositioning their organization, typically working with management consultants to do that. And I knew that uh, I had an entrepreneurial bent having worked with friends to help start companies, advise them along the way. And I wanted to actually use that creativity in a space when I was ready for it. So I felt I was ready to start the venture, having given a lot of thought and having observed the market to think about where a niche opportunity could be, having thought about the culture I wanted to build and an environment of excellence that would translate well for clients. So that journey led me to a place that, quite frankly, was scary initially because you're starting a company from scratch. You have none of the support structures that you typically have in a large company that I had always had around me. And so I spend you know, half a day with Canon on the phone trying to set up my printer. <laughs> I mean, those <laughs> are the things that you do. And... It's been an amazing experience where I've learned a lot and I've been able to bring to bear the things that I've done collectively across my career, which fundamentally involve reshaping organizations, finding amazing talent to do that, setting strategy and direction, ensuring there's accountability and having a close connection to the market to understand what clients want. So in the context of this company, Pivot Global, and I would tell you that I, as I've thought about this, I think it's one of my career successes. And I'm probably the proudest of it because the element of risk is high. The room to create and innovate is high. The ability to create an imprint around the culture is high. And at the same time, we're absolutely able to dial into what customers want and need and serve them in a compelling way. So here's what I mean. 
you mentioned in the outset that we are a boutique management consulting firm. And what we do is strengthen and reposition high-growth companies and established companies that are mid-sized and larger. And the focus is on innovation and improvement. The heart of this, which demonstrates the creativity but also the need in the market, is a unique model that I've built that leverages already established business disciplines around design thinking and agility. But what I saw was that no one was applying those concepts on a combined basis to general management. They were being applied to certain disciplines. And so our consulting approach is very simple, but we start using design thinking with an outside-in approach. And we work with clients to really understand the wants and needs of their customers, not what they think is great and what they've built thinking internally is great, but really understanding that and then unleashing the creativity of their employees who know a tremendous amount, tapping them to come up with solutions. Now, those may already exist. They may have those things in place, and it may be about tweaking and refining. And it may be that, that all of that is good, but what we've done is validate first the customer orientation and the solutions. And then we move with them into the inside-out approach, which is about strengthening repositioning. And that's typically across any area of their operations, again, using our model, focused on agility, ensuring that we have fixes and adjustments that we're making along the way. So we don't wait nine months to give you a big deck about here's what you should do differently. We get in with you and we start making those changes and you can see the momentum happening. And so it's taking the concepts of agility that you see in the technology space, applying it in general management, and it creates momentum. It, it impacts morale as you're changing things underneath. And our focus is also on sustainability. So we want you to not need us again to come back and work with you on this particular issue because it's now in the DNA of your organization. Right. And because of that, then, we work incredibly hard, not just on the ideation but on the implementation. And that's trying to ensure that end-to-end -end, you now have solutions that stick. Now, to do that, building that model, finding the talent, which um, in our firm is about a dozen individuals who have all run companies, run functions, been CEOs in the C-suite. They all also are entrepreneurs, and they have about 500 years of experience. Hmm. Now, it took talking to over 80 people to find these folks. Finding our group of operators who ideate and implement and have dealt with just about any issue you've ever dealt with, building the model itself, and then getting to the other component that's really unique, which is a high-touch, low-touch model. So I saw often that consultants were needed in a high-touch way in an engagement working with a company. But often you don't need that. And so we have built uh, B2B consulting tools, if you will, that a client can use on their own with their teams to assess their current strategy and figure out their future strategy, to assess the skills of their people and understand their strengths and how they're kind of wired and to use all that to build and improve their teams, to diagnose the overall performance of the business going in deep across multiple areas. So those standalone tools, you don't need us. And I think in the market, it's, we really have been thoughtful about what's needed. You can have those in combination with a high-touch engagement, or you can have that low-touch approach only, and certainly supported by automation is something that we've been focused on. So I have loved 
building the organization, it has allowed me to draw on things from across my career that really focus on alignment with customers, managing P&Ls, building and repositioning organizations and turning them around, really understanding the value of people and talent within an organization, and finding a niche within the market and being able to exploit that. And doing all of it in a highly credible and professional way where you never compromise integrity and you really understand that everything that touches your brand has to reinforce it in a positive way. And also, fundamentally, knowing that, and I say this, I'm, I'm a Mississippian, so sometimes I say things a little plainly, but I say, look, all money ain't good money. <laughs> and I do mean that because it, it does mean that every engagement is something, we shouldn't pursue every engagement, but there are some circumstances that we should walk away from and that we have a very high standard that we have to attain and maintain in the marketplace. And that means we're doing business for today and for the long term. And I'm enjoying what I'm doing, and it's a pleasure to be able to talk about it. You see, I could talk about it all day. because it's <laughs> Well, it's very exciting. Country. I mean, it's, it's very exciting you taking this venture on and taking everything that you've learned in your career and being able to now apply it in a different way with other firms. I think that's it's, it's very exciting. And the fact that you found these other CEOs and brought them in who've got, you know, their worlds of experience as well. It's, it's pretty amazing. It is, and the, the, the pleasure is that I get to learn from them. It's an amazing team, and they're choosing to do what they do. They're all boomers, which brings a certain level of gravitas and experience to what they do. And I continue to learn from this group all the time, and that's what I mean by culture. Uh, I, I've said to all of them that there are three criteria when I was selecting them. One, they had to have certain vertical expertise, and so they've been selected for a combination of um, technical skill in different areas. Two, they couldn't wear that on their sleeves. It wouldn't work in our environment, and it's not what I want when they interact with clients. And then three, I had to be very comfortable that this individual could cultivate and uh, work with clients completely without me and that they had that level of professionalism. And those are the minimum uh, requirements. And then there are other things that would differentiate a person. But again, that's about understanding what's needed in the market, what's desired in our culture, finding that right combination and fit. And it makes for a really unique group of operators who I think uh, bounce things off of each other. And as I say, they, they really have not encountered an issue that they haven't dealt with before collectively. And for clients, that's really reassuring. Yeah, absolutely. But just very, really fascinating, the, the work that you're doing right now and being able to help all these other uh, organizations. So you've had a, a, you know, a career that has been filled with all sorts of things, a good, bad, and indifferent, I'm very sure. But if you had to look back at your career, what's been something that's been maybe something really unusual or surprising that happened that you never thought would happen, whether it was at you know, a, a big company that you worked at or whether it's in your own firm right now? In a good or bad way or just different or unexpected? It could be any of them. How about we start with a bad, something that you just really never thought would, would happen, just bad? I would uh, point to a product rollout that occurred in a company that I work with. And it, it routinely 
happens. You're always uh, developing product, rolling out product in the financial services space. And so I was very accustomed to doing this. And this occurred as I was, it had just actually been rolled out as I joined the organization. So I have this new product that evaluating with our team with an organization that thinks that it's great. And I am working mildly to say we have some challenges here. And, you know, I would tell you, and the product itself, which was intended to go after a certain part of the market and drive growth, um, had some fundamental issues that related to profitability. And I will tell you that it, when I think about the learnings from that, the biggest is that the organization wasn't close enough to the client, to the customers, to know what they wanted and needed, and to position the product. And there was heavy focus internally on the skills that the organization had, the technical skills, the predictive modeling, the quantitative skills, which are the bedrock of what you need in the industry. But it has to be married with very closely a fundamental understanding of what customers want and need of the market, what's happening at that particular time, what others are offering, what are points of differentiation, where you can be adversely selected against. And all of that has to be finely calibrated. And so, you know, I learned what happens when that client connection isn't as tight and close as it should be. So now you have some information, quantitative and qualitative, that's missing. And then you've got to ensure that you're making adjustments because you're now beginning to sell that product and you're not selling what you thought you would. So you certainly have to see it. You have to see it quickly. You've got to make adjustments to it. You're communicating to your organization why you're making those changes. And that creates actually activity that you certainly had not anticipated within your normal workflow as you're rolling out the new product. And it reminded me of... And that was later in my career, but it reminded me of a situation earlier in my career. It was actually a role where I was developing product as a complement to a core product. And I fundamentally knew we had uh, done all the development of the product, what it was. It had to be approved by regulators. It was going to be rolled out. And I said to our organization, we shouldn't do this because I think it's fundamentally going to take away from the core product in order to support it, to build it, to sustain it, you'd almost need a new division. Well, I know that that's not what you want. That's not consistent with the strategy. It's going to hurt the core offering itself. And while I know it's my job to get this product out there, and maybe I'm talking myself out of a job, I recommend that we not do it. And that turned out to be the right decision at the time. So some personal peril, if you will, around my job in, in recommending that we not continue it. But I knew it was the right thing to do. And so, again, as you dial forward to this later experience, it was saying, you know, we have the challenges here. We've got to make these changes. It's very different than originally anticipated. But, again, it's about raising that red flag. And I always believe that when you have issues, you also have solutions. So it's putting forward what you would be doing differently and acting on that. And so I, those are kind of bookends that dealt with kind of the same issue in a way. And so there is the learning around the voice that speaks very honestly to what you know to be the case, the ability to ensure that you're closely aligned with your clients, 
and then ensuring that you have the balance between both quantitative and qualitative inputs that allow you to make good decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think we, we always learn from the good. Uh, and we also learn even more from the things that don't go the way that we thought they were supposed to, or the way that others envisioned that they would go. But um, yeah, interesting. So when we first met, uh, you were speaking on a panel uh, about women in the boardroom. And so I wanted to ask a question about, you know, this issue of diversity at every corporation in every in every place is still a hot topic in certainly in the United States and in other countries as well. Diversity initiatives for the most part have not been as successful as some have wished that they would be and that may be an understatement in certain companies. Why do you think that's the case? Well, I, I would start by saying what I said at that conference which is I'm not a, a diversity and inclusion practitioner in the HR world, but I am a consumer, if you will, in that as an executive who fundamentally I believe that you can have the best strategy, but if you don't have the best people aligned with the right accountability suited to their skills and ensuring that everybody's going in the same direction with transparency, then nothing happens good. And so I come back in that sense to a conversation about talent and about diversity and inclusion. And diversity in particular, I think, is so compelling because, and and this gets to your question, which is people have seen varying degrees of success. And we, we know across the country that we certainly have a lot more work to do in this realm. I step back and take a very practical approach. I start with understanding the business imperative. So if you simply look at the demographic for any sector of the buying public, we know that it's rapidly changing in this country, not thinking outside the U.S., just in the U.S. And that certainly means women as consumers, a huge proportion of the population, and in some instances, more than 50% of the buyers are women. It means that people of various ethnicities, likewise, when they're aggregated, constitute a really large group, and that number is growing. It's not just about ethnicity and gender, it's also about uh, background experience and the filters that someone would have that overlay their purchasing decision. If that is the case and there's rapid movement there in the changing demographic of the consuming public, then companies, one, need to know that and understand it, can't argue with it, it is what it is. So that means that you've got to understand it and you've got to ensure that your company is positioned to get its fair share. Now, from a board standpoint, when you think about governance from the board, that's certainly one of the things that you'd want to know is, is how is your company aligned vis-a-vis the marketplace to get its fair share? And so what are you selling to whom? And what does that look like today and in the next 10 years? How are you positioned to go after it? And fundamentally, diversity is embedded in that conversation. That then requires the, the organization's leadership to really focus on how it gets its fair share of the market with the diverse and ever-changing diverse population of consumers. So that means you've got to ensure that your products and services are positioned the way they should be, that your employees with the perspectives and insights and skills that are needed to serve those populations are in place, that your suppliers and vendors likewise have the perspective, skill, and experience that's needed, You can go around the dial and think about all those different constituencies, and you'll never, ever be perfect. 
that's that perfection is nirvana. It's not going to happen. But you can be very laser focused on what you're going after in the market, the position you want to have, the key products and services that you're going to offer, and then how you're going to stake your position in that market and go after it. So when I think about diversity, those companies that do it well have a fundamental understanding of this business imperative. Those that think spend a lot of time talking about it as social good miss the point because we have a number of issues that tie to diversity that I think we see where people are dabbling. They have something they try here or something they try there, but you got to have a comprehensive approach. It's got to be in the DNA of the organization. You have to hold not just your executives, but people in the organization accountable for ensuring that it's not just activity around diversity that you saw a certain number of people in the interviewing process or that you selected a certain number of people. That really isn't it. It's about the outcomes. Right. Because if you find the outcomes that you're going to deliver, that means in order to get there, to get that fair share we talked about, it requires that your sourcing is more diverse to get to a slate of talent with broader skills and experience. That insight then from those employees translates into the decisions that are made, the products that you're producing, the services that you offer, how you're positioning yourself from a marketing standpoint, what you do in the community. Now you have outcomes that look different because your population making the decisions internally was different. And you can draw that parallel on, on a lot of paths, but I, I'm passionate about it because I do think it's fundamental to how you do business, recognizing the business imperative. And as I said, I'm not a DNI expert or practitioner, but I do fundamentally understand when you're fixing, strengthening, repositioning, and building businesses, I said earlier that it goes back to people and talent. And in many ways, that's true in the diversity space. It's a platform on which I think you build to get to even larger excellence within your business. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really agree with what you said about, you know, is this a is this a social good effort or is this an effort that really focuses on where the market is? You know, if the consumers uh, fall into this category, uh, then the companies need to also fall into some of those same categories. And it, it's not a social good. It's not, well, we have to do it because we've got a quota. Uh, that's not it's not the reason. It's about exactly what you, you're talking about and what you do in your organization, which is you know bringing in the best people and making sure that innovation is happening and all of these things are happening with the very best people, whomever they might be. And I, I think that that's a it's a key thing with organizations today. And I I just I've always thought that it's changing, that it's getting better, but the numbers really don't show that it has necessarily gotten better. But I think culturally and also just awareness wise, we're 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 in a better place today than we were before, uh, but there's still a lot of work to do. Well, I, I would say two things. One, it is getting better. We have a tremendous amount of work to do. I can tell you that uh, the opportunities that I've had across my career would not have happened had things not been getting better over the decades. And I say that from the perspective of someone who grew up in Meridian, Mississippi, in a housing project, and didn't know about college, didn't know about careers. It was about making it day to day. And I've been on an amazing journey of both educationally, experientially, when it comes to jobs. But I also know that the biggest impact came because 
One, my mom was a catalyst and she demanded excellence from us. And two, there were so many people along the way who helped me even when I didn't know I needed help. And those interventions made the biggest difference. It also meant that I was a beneficiary of a number of things that happened in the country, including affirmative action. And I then have really taken it very seriously, and I really believe it's part of my obligation to certainly every day have the passion about what I do, but to balance that with an equal amount of compassion that requires me to think about how I can do for others what was done for me, how I can mentor, create opportunity, and hopefully careers. And some of that comes from exposure, so people know what the possibilities are. Some of it comes from actually helping people to understand the levers uh, and the skills that they need to be successful in a career. Some of it comes from being a sounding board and helping think about paths that they want to take. But those are the things that I think are so important. And so things are getting better. I'm the beneficiary of that. I have the obligation to further that in a really dynamic way. And I can tell you that I, I probably am proudest across my entire career of the ability to be in a position to find great talent, to develop them, and to export them, and to see them thrive in their careers. And sometimes those would be in areas that uh, have been previously closed to non-white males. And so the way that I've approached it has been, I think, in a way that is not uh, alienating. It is engaging. So it's straight talk about where we are, straight talk about that business imperative and the deficits that we have, but also engaging white males, for instance, in a conversation about their power and influence and how their advocacy and their ability to champion and mentor would make a difference in the careers of people. And so there is the job that you want to do every day, and then there's a the legacy that they live. You know, who's their progeny, their protege, the people that they've invested in? And if those people only look like them, let's think about expanding that. Because now what you've done is seeded careers and opportunities for a wider group of people that has so much impact. And when you dial in that way to people that ordinarily hadn't been thinking about it, it's amazing to see the ownership and the excitement that they bring to it, the impact that they have. And for me, that's about the fundamentals of how you move from A to B. You know, you, you see what you have, what are the challenges, you figure out the parties that you need to engage, you don't leave anyone on the sidelines, and you celebrate along the way, and people can see themselves in that whole change equation. And so whether it is changing the composition of a C-suite team in an industry that created diversity like no other company had, or being able to ensure that entry-level jobs to mid-level jobs included diversity in a way that an organization had never had, or fundamentally looking at the composition of, of my consultants in my own company. It's embedded in how I think about things, and I, I see it as part of an overall equation that allows a company to be successful. Yeah, I, you you speak about things that, in a way, in such an eloquent way, that uh, um, there's no, there's no comments that I have about anything that you just said because it's so right on and, you know, your feeling that you have an obligation, 
I, I, you might feel it's an obligation. I can feel that it's your passion and a passion, you know, maybe is a little different than an obligation, but it is, uh, it is something that has diversity, affirmative action and, and other ways that people have treated you through your career. Um, you, you now are a giver and you're giving back. And I, I just think it's amazing. So thank you. Well, thank you. You know, I, I give and I, the stipulation that I have is that you, that I spend the time with you. I require that you do the same for someone along the way. And, you know, not all of that is in the context of diversity. It can be, you know, the, uh, there's, I probably have any given time five or six people that I'm mentoring. One includes a, a, the son of a friend who is graduating, he graduated last year from college and he's making decisions about graduate school. He's just a talented young man. And so I started the conversation with him early on about his perspective being a unique perspective and being able then to embrace, and he comes from a white suburban environment. And I said, you know, uh, your college experience has made you aware of so many things that you wouldn't be, have been aware of had you been at home. And now you're going to go into an even broader environment. And you get to take all these amazing things that you've been taught and apply them in situations that are going to be new to you. And so you can have a lens that says it's new, different, therefore I reject it. Or you can have a lens that says it's new, different, I'm going to learn something, I'm going to embrace it. And by the way, it's going to make me a person with broader someone that has broader perspective. And I said, if you fundamentally start your career deciding which approach you're going to take and opting for that broader approach, you're going to be a better person down the road and a better professional down the road. And I said, let's, let's go through a couple of examples of how that could play out. And those are the conversations that I have with him. They're daily interactions that he has daily decisions that he's making, and I, I go back to which approach are you using as you're analyzing this or as you're thinking about that interaction or as you're problem solving. And that, I think, is the, the guidance that we can give, and I, I certainly don't know it all by any means, but there is some perspective where I, I never tell people what they should do. I do help them think about the things that they need to weigh and consider to come up with their own decisions and hopefully expand the universe of what they're thinking about. So in a balanced way, they're making decisions that are important today, but they recognize the impact down the road. And they recognize that everything they do certainly is about them, but it's also about a lot of other people too. And, and in the business context, I continue to reinforce that we are all passionate about what we do, about excellence, about driving results. And we can do all of that by also doing good. And in my company, I get to play that out with a focus on uh, social responsibility and philanthropy where we focus on education-related community causes at the national level. I'm on the board of the National Women's History Museum, which will be building a location in the nation's capital. And I'm also uh, working with the Harlem Boys, the Boys and Girls Club of Harlem, as they are expanding their service and, and capacity in the Harlem community. Now, in between, our team does a lot of things that focuses on education. The capstone of that is a foundation that we are, we filed for 501c3 status, and it would be the only uh, nonprofit in the country that's solely focused on selecting disadvantaged youth 
to go on international student exchange experiences and then paying for them to go. So they would we partner with exchange existing exchange programs. And this is again about the things that are transformative that give you broader exposure and then allow you to make decisions that are life changing. And I and this is all important for me because at 16 I went on an exchange program to Japan. Life changing in so many ways and it broadened my perspective of what was possible. And I know that these are the fundamental things that are tied to education that really make uh, a lasting difference. And so our company is committed to those things. But I think everybody can find a way to both professionally and personally make a difference in, in a committed way. Yeah, absolutely. Just wonderful work. Terrific. Thank you so much, uh, Cynthia, for being on the Female Red Zone today. I have really enjoyed this conversation, and I think we could probably talk for another couple of hours. <laughs> but um, we're, we're going to say goodbye now. But how can people reach you um, at your company, uh, Pivot Global? They can uh, send me an email at cynthia.young at pivotglobal.com. Our company's website is www.pivotglobal.com. And they can always give me a call at 212-232-0163. I'd love to hear from them. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you being on this show and sharing such great and wonderful and eloquent insight uh, with our listeners. Well, from the Female Red Zone, this is Mary Beth Kosmeski. Thanks for listening to The Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.